0: Uh, you know what though? This this is a good message. This is my fa- one of my favorite one of my favorite passages of scripture. So turn to John 21, because this is going to minister to everyone in the room. What just happened for Clay is that he heard from Christ. Nobody makes that jump, Clay, unless you heard from Christ. So man, that's a that's a mind blower, right? You know that which you can't touch, that which you can't feel. Got in there and broke that all down, and you still don't understand it all. I don't understand it all, but we're on that journey together, okay? And so, one of the hardest things we experience is hearing what God is saying. How do we know what Jesus is saying? Have you ever been there? Imagine, if you will, you know, there's some, there's some kind of comical things here. You know, today's message is what is Jesus saying? So Jesus tells the rich man, go sell all your possessions. Okay, so I guess we can't have anything in our life. That's what he's saying, right? So I'm going to have to, Dylan, you're going to have to get rid of your PS3. Sorry, okay? You're going to have to be done with that. Um, and uh, the rest of us just need to do a, 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 a cleaning of the house, get rid of your possessions. Because, you know, that's, Jesus said it. Think about Judas. Right? They're in the upper room. And Jesus says, Whatever you're about to do, go and do quickly. Who says he didn't want another dip of hummus or something? Right? So Judas' sitting there, in that moment, he's thinking, You know, I I wish they'd passed the hummus because I need a little refresher. He's like, Oh, all right. Bam. Even more problematic. Jesus says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Right? If I'm Peter, whoa. <laughs> I'm. I'm Gives me glasses that fit. I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm wondering what on earth? Who's, where's Satan? What's going on? Sorry, I can't see any of you. I'm going to have to locate those. Oh my gosh. I would fail my homiletics course right now. But these are the words Jesus said. So if He's not telling us to get rid of all of our possessions, but He told the rich man to do that, then what was He saying? If He tells Judas, whatever you're about to do, go and do quickly, but they're having a meal, what was He saying? If He turns to Peter and He says, get thee behind Me, Satan, but He doesn't mean you exactly, Peter, what is Jesus saying? That's a hard one, isn't it? Well, let's pray for clear understanding right now as we get into this text. Lord, I ask that You give us understanding because it is really, really hard to figure this stuff out. We need Your Holy Spirit. Your words are clear, but we need wisdom and guidance and understanding. So please grant that to us this morning. Amen. Let's read the story. This is a great story. I've stood on this beach. I've had the privilege of going over to Israel multiple times, and the last time I went with our church was the first time I actually stood on this particular area. And we don't know, you know, there's no signs of, you know, Peter's knees in the sand or something. We don't know for sure exactly. But the rough area, that would have been it. And it just struck me so powerfully what had happened there. And and so in my mind, as we read this, I'm somewhere else. I'm on that beach on the shores of Galilee. John, do you love Me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love Me? And he said to him, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love You. Jesus said to him, Feed My sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. And then verse 19 is parenthetical and it says this. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, which was ultimate crucifixion under Nero. After, and after saying this, he said to him what? Follow me. Oh, this is going to be fun unpacking this. Now get ready, folks, because I'm going to give you a little backstory, and then we're going to break this down into three segments. Number one, Jesus reveals; Number two, Jesus restores, and number three, Jesus reminds. But I'm going to get a little complicated and kind of replicate Hebrew poetry here. So within each one of these points, those are the same exact subpoints. All right? So as you take notes, carefully pay attention. Now let me give you a little backstory. They're gathered around a fire, but there's no reflection of a conversation. Rather, there is the intimate quietness that strangely wasn't there before. Now, you have to be a little bit careful here. A lot of people are reading and putting conjecture into the Word. You've got to be really careful about that stuff, guys. Pastors are tempted very much to have some new insight in teaching, so you all go away saying, Wow, I never knew that before. My pastor's so wise. You can say that. I appreciate that. Keep, keep going, but... I'm going to throw out this little disclaimer. We don't know why things weren't stated. We don't even know that things weren't stated. Where this comment comes from is every time that there was a meal with Christ and others in the narratives, as they were written down and recorded years later, there's always a conversation. Now remember what had happened. They're out fishing. They've gone to plan B, right? They went back to their old profession because they didn't know where Christ went. Christ shows up on the shore, but they can't see him. They're about 100 yards off. They can see a figure, but they don't know who it is. So he does a miracle that was familiar to them. And what happens? John yells, it's the Lord. What happens next? Do you remember? What happened right after John yells, it's the Lord? Who threw himself over the boat again? Peter. Man, the guy was Israeli national swimmer. Peter flops out of the boat. He can't wait for the boat to get in. you think Peter loves the Lord? Absolutely he does. Now they get there, but here's the interesting thing, is that it says prior in in this chapter, just in the preceding verses, that no one dare say anything. That's where scholars kind of inject this idea that they all kind of sat around quietly. You know, here's something else that's interesting that's happening here. Is that there's a reflection of Jesus feeding them. That was one of the last things that he did in the upper room, right? There was a familiarization to this. There's different clues that something is different here. One of those clues is he doesn't offer thanks for the food. It's the first time ever that he doesn't offer thanks for the food in any of the narratives. Why would that be? Because Jesus, when he was here, and again, conjecture a little bit, but let us we know for a fact by the t- narrative that he, that doesn't exist. He just said, here's the food, eat. And so they're eating, and they're quiet. Something's a little bit different. Remember, that as Jesus appeared, people had a little bit of a difficulty recognizing him at first, at this point, post-resurrection. And the idea is simply this, that when Jesus came, He had to come fully as man because that was our spot, right? That was our spot. So in His humanity, He suffered as a human to the point of ascension, to the point of crucifixion. Now He is in His glorified state. Remember He said, don't touch Me. There's something different about Jesus. And the thought here is, why would he not offer a prayer? Because when he was here prior, he was in a fully human, fully God state, but he was relating as a human, and he was always giving that example of to the Father. This is a statement to the divinity of Christ, for those who want to argue that point. He comes now as the Redeemer. Not as the sacrificial lamb, he now comes as the Redeemer And that's his role. And that is his current role. And so we're going to look and examine how that affects us. Now here's the problem. Peter has denied Jesus three times. And while this section, for those who have been in church or Bible study for years, often what is taught is that this is the restoration of Peter. And it is... But I don't believe that this is the private restoration of Jesus. I don't believe that this is the confession. Now, this is me speaking, not the Word. I think, because we have in Luke 24-34, we have in 1 Corinthians 15-5, we have these parts of the story that tell us that Peter had met with Christ prior to this, privately. And I would propose that it was at that time that Peter did his confession to Christ. And I'll give some evidence for that as we move through this. You see, this isn't necessarily about Jesus and Peter. This is about Jesus restoring Peter for the sake of the disciples. This has to do with public sin versus private sin. You know, sometimes you'll see churches carry out what they call Matthew 18, church discipline. I hate that word, church discipline. That came out of a legalistic, you are not find it in scriptures. That came out of a legalistic approach to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is all about restoration. It should be what's called church restoration or Christ-like restoration. And this is exactly the picture you see in the passage we're looking at today. There's going to be some hard things here that we don't, we don't want to hear. But I want you to dig deeper, and I really want you to hear what Jesus is saying. Now, why would a church do a public, in-focus restoration of someone who'd been in sin? Number one, because that's what Scripture tells us, but number two, it's healthy. And you'll see what I mean by healthy here. Public sin is a little bit different from private sin. You know, I hate to break it to you, but I sin daily. And you guys don't see that sin. So it can't really affect your view of me. It doesn't throw up a barrier necessarily. This past soccer season, my daughter's playing in a game. And there was a moment in time in that game where I knew that because the referee had told us that he was inexperienced, he wasn't qualified to ref at this point, but it was the only ref that we had. and We said, okay, that's not a problem. And so one of our players took a hard, professional-level foul from behind right in front of our bench. And I waited for the call. My assistant waited for the call. No call. And, and it was such a hard foul that the, this girl got hurt, and it was from behind, so it's dangerous. My assistant yelled. I didn't yell. I just want you to know that. I didn't yell. But my assistant yelled, and a bunch of our parents yelled, And this girl was very, very good from the other team. She knew exactly what she was doing. And it was, it was a, I would call it a club level or high school level foul. But here's the problem in my mind as the coach. My player got hurt and we're in the first quarter of the game and the referee didn't even call it a foul, let alone a yellow card. It should have been a yellow card. So I'm thinking in my mind, we could be in serious trouble and we could start chalking up a lot of injuries. That's one of the reasons referees use those cards and, and blow whistles is so that it doesn't progress and get worse and get worse and get worse. So I see all of a sudden that there's a message to a girl who knows how to do hard fouls. You're going to be able to get away with this all day long. And I'm seeing my players start racking up on the side of the, side of the uh, field. And so I just say very calculated but very loud because I have a very soft voice. I say, girls, girls. Be very aware. Apparently, that kind of play is okay. Those are my exact words. What was I telling my girls? Let me tell you what they thought I told my girls. Because at the end of this game, I was surrounded by three coaches from the other team, four players from the other team, the girl that fouled my girl, and she was. And God bless her, she came up to tell me and, and, and confront me, which. Is kind of good. Deal with it, right? That's a biblical concept. But her words to me was, I cannot believe and I've never heard a coach in all my years tell their players to foul us. And I'm sitting here thinking, ah, that's not what I said. You see, they had a problem hearing what I was, what? Saying. And that led to a huge debacle where there was a formal injunction against me. Later in that game, my daughter, Jericho, was going in like a wild woman, Amazonian, to take over the ball. And I've been coaching her, saying, You are going to snap a femur if you keep doing this. And so she went in and she won the ball, and she turned and she looked at me and gave me a little. <laughs> and so I said to my player, my daughter, You're lucky. The other team thought that I was dissing their player. So now they keep racking up all the things. Folks, that's what's called, pub. that's an illustration, I didn't sin, but that's now, that's irreversible for a bunch of people in our community. That's what they think of your pastor. Because that was public. And so I can, if I had sinned in that situation, I could confess that and I could deal with it and it's over and done with, right? Mm, the ramifications are still laying out there. There's a misunderstanding by a group of people that saw what they wanted to see and they weren't really listening. Folks, that is exactly what's happening around this campfire with Jesus and these seven disciples. So let's, without further ado, break it down. If you're writing things down, we're going to start with Jesus reveals. We see this. Jesus reveals his desire to publicly put the issue behind this group Jesus is an elephant killer now we know at least John but maybe a couple others were there in the courtyard and heard Peter deny Christ do you think that word got out amongst the rest of the disciples folks they're hiding out in the upper room for a couple days camped out there wasn't a whole lot to talk about and yet Jesus had told Peter you are going to be the rock The gates of hell will not prevail against you. I'm going to build my church on you. This is what Jesus told Peter. Now, if you're part of a leadership group in a community and you see what happened, how many of you would vote Peter out? Raise your hand. Because my hand is raised, okay? I would vote him out as leader. None of you would vote him out. Are you kidding me? I've got job security now. I'll just tell you, if you vote me out for some reason other than denying Christ, you know... We would vote Peter out. That's why this conversation is happening. They're sitting around. Christ is a little bit different. There's something going on. I think that they've already had the private conversation, but now Jesus goes to bat for Peter. He is going to restore him. In order to restore, what does he have to do? He has to shoot the elephant in the room. Or the elephant on the beach. Whatever you want to say. And so what does he do? He enters into this really weird, quirky dialogue that we have to figure out what is he saying. Could you imagine being one of the disciples? Sitting there saying, what are they talking about? And I think about the third time, and you'll see it in a moment, because Peter gets grieved. Oh, you just brought that up in front of all these guys. Are you kidding me? How would you feel? This is Jesus the author and perfecter of my faith. And he just threw me under the bus, or the donkey cart, whatever you want to say, in front of my guys. Jesus reveals his desire to publicly put the issue behind this group. He's going to kill this issue off, Two under Jesus reveals. Now Jesus restores by using the, the um, kind of a, a triadial statement For the purpose of clarity and completeness. He's going to do this confession or this moving forward restoration in three. Where Peter will have to confess with his mouth out loud. All of this is done eloquently so there is full restoration that all the disciples can see. Jesus who is authoritative is going to restore Peter. No more questions needed boys. He restores by using this triadial statement for the purpose of clarity and completeness. Third, Jesus reminds through the use of name, geography and pattern. What name? Did you notice what He says all three times? What, does He say Peter or does He say Simon. You know, not too far from here is where Jesus encountered Peter for the first time. And what does he say to Peter? He says, Simon, son of John or Jonas, drop your nets and what? Follow me. What does Jesus say at the end of this? When it's done, when it's over, when it's finished, what does he say to Peter? Follow me. Do you understand how perfect Christ is in conflict management? He is reminding. He has chosen an area which was the original area that he went and encountered Peter. It's the perfect reminder. Geographically, he uses this name that goes back to where Peter started. It's kind of like your mom using your middle name. You know? Jeremy, Alan, Cook. Right? You know you've got to pay attention when that happens. So Jesus is kind of saying, why did He call me Simon. He's always called me Peter. There's something going on. There's something going on. And so to look and say, what is Jesus actually saying? There's so much to be unpacked in here. We don't like it when Jesus reveals our sin, just like Peter. Verse 17 says Peter was grieved when he realized what what Jesus was doing. We don't like our sin to be brought out. But my friends, I have seen churches that are powerful, that are loving, that are motivated, that are free. And those churches take confession seriously. I've seen churches that don't take confession seriously, and they live under the bondage of guilt, and there's no life in that church. This is the pattern of Christ. And we live in a world where we say, oh, you've got to be careful about saying something that somebody gets upset at. We don't want to get somebody upset here you know, I don't want to hurt any feelings. Did Peter get his feelings hurt in this dialogue? Was it in front of all his best buds? Kill the elephant. And now it can't charge you. Trumpet it. I don't know, whatever, it would, whatever the elephant does. But Jesus says, I'm going to be complete with this. Even if it's uncomfortable. You know, it's kind of like cancer. We just heard from someone today that they've been struggling with cancer and cancer is a horrendous, ugly disease. And when you get to that point where you have to go through surgery for cancer, do they just take the part that's cancerous? No, they excavate more because there's the potential for just a little bit being there. And they don't want to leave any opportunity for it to come back. It may be more painful, but they don't want to leave any opportunity for it to come back. Jesus reveals the ugliness in order to restore. What is Jesus saying to you today? What is it that needs put down? That needs let go of? that needs to be exposed so that you can move on and live according to His plan. Second point, Jesus restores. Since that's where we're coming out of, you've got to reveal in order to restore. Jesus reveals that restoration happens through love. Right? It's it's by no coincidence that He goes through this litany of words. Well, actually it's, One word. Well, actually it's two words. And this is where our Bible scholars in the room have heard a hundred times on this passage which two Greek words we're talking about. Let me hear them. They are what? Yes. Phileo and agape or agapeo. Those are the two words. There's about four different words that we can use in Greek for love that were more specific. We just have one word. And so we'll break that down for you. He restores by using this word love. Why does he do that? Well, because Peter did it. Peter says he makes these proclamations earlier about his love for Christ. He even in his arrogance says, I love you more than these. Do you remember that? We'll get to it here at the, in, in the third point out of Matthew 26 and, Ma- and John 13. But this, I told you, He's excavating. Now, if you're one of the boys sitting around the fire and Jesus starts saying, hey Peter, do you love Me? Do you think it's crossed your mind back when Peter threw you under the bus? And He tried to get His chest out there and say, I love you so much! that I'll die for you. They may not, but I will. Think they remembered that? Of course they did. And of course Christ needed to repair that. Because if you and I are sitting there and we're supposed to follow this guy because he's been chosen, it needs to be excavated completely so it can be restored and repaired. So Jesus is unrelenting in revealing so that he can do a thorough job of restoring. We don't like revealing. We like to keep it secret. And what we don't realize, think if this hadn't happened, Peter would have had zero influence. Think of all the things God used Peter for. If this had not have happened, these boys would not have followed Peter. They would not have listened. So Jesus is being very thorough. So let's use this word love. Let me break this down because you've been told a lot of things. If you've heard this stuff on love, you've been told a lot of things. First of all, Peter's using the word phileo. Christ uses the first two times, the first two interactions, the word agapeo. How many of you are tracking with me? You've heard this before. Okay, so there's quite a few of us in the room. So why is one person using one kind of emphasis of love, and another person's using the other. And here's something I learned in my study this time as I'm looking at it. What's interesting is, I think, and I would agree with uh, uh, one of the editors and redactors of the NASB, this is his theory, that Peter is actually, he, he can't get away from himself. He just can't. He's doing it again. Peter's actually using the more demonstrative of love. Now what I've been taught and what you've been taught for the most part this will challenge this is that godly love is what kind of love? Agape love. So that therefore is the pinnacle of love. Right? And so Peter was hit and miss. He kept using phileo and he never got off phileo. Isn't it interesting that Christ came and met him at the end and used the word phileo? Why would that be if agape is the more venerated love? Now here's why I think we've grabbed a hold of that, is its usage in Scripture. Is that agapeo is used 320 times in the New Testament. Phileo is used 45 times. But here's the challenge. Even as these words are being used, they're intermixed. That the writers between Mark, Luke, John, Matthew... Matthew might record a certain passage and use agapeo, but Luke will record the same story and he'll use the word phileo. So what is Jesus saying? What is he saying? How do you know what's going on? Well, let me give you some context to this. That the word agapeo really speaks to the value of something. It's preciousness. So we can understand that from God's point of view, right? That's why you would use that in that context. Phileo is a more specific kind of love usually related to the affection for a person. So now does this relate to you why this is happening back and forth in this dialogue? Is that Jesus starts out with this idea of, Peter, do you hold precious what I hold precious? Do you value what I... You know I do, Lord. I love you. Peter, do you hold precious what I hold? By the way, we know what he holds precious by what he says, right? He gives a command. He's asking Peter, do you hold precious what I hold precious? Do you value what I value? And then what does he say? This is the dead giveaway. Then feed my what? and Which is us. Tend to them. Feed them. Care for them. The interesting thing is, is that a sheep feels like he doesn't need feeding. You let go of a sheep and he just grazes, right? And he thinks he's got it all under control. When in fact the shepherd is constantly moving them to where the new food is. Where the shepherd is constantly tending to them. But the sheep is kind of so dumb they don't even realize that the shepherd's required. In his restoration of Peter he is relentless. But he comes to this last point of saying, and he comes in simpatico with, with Peter and says, fine Peter, Do you love me? But is that all he says? No. He says, do you love me more than what? More than these. Remember? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He started out the whole dialogue saying to Peter, challenging him. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's these? What's around him? Well, there's the net. There's the boat. There's the sand. There's the enormous amounts of sheep, uh, fish, sheep and fish and bread and hummus and all that. There's a huge amount of fish. I don't think he's talking about the fish. Because he's trying to be complete in this restoration. He knows that there's problems between these guys following Peter, but Peter's his guy. So he's speaking. This is why my theory is he's speaking on benefit of the disciples that he's probably already gone through this with Peter. And by Peter's tone... Peter's tone reflects that he and Christ probably have already discussed this. What would it be like to have Christ restore you? To know that Christ was working on your behalf and He was going to go to these complete levels. No stone unturned so that you would be set and ready to run. So he answers Peter back the third time with the same kind of love. Do you really love me? You know there's a pattern here. And the pattern is is that he's requiring Peter to continually confess out loud in front of everyone that he loves him. That is something that we lack is to be honest enough when challenged by Christ when we know what Christ is saying, that we can out loud say what it is we feel towards our God. This is what makes the church anemic, my friends. Be like Peter. Say out loud. Take those steps when you hear Jesus calling out to you. Listen carefully. When we go through restoration from Jesus, what do you hear? Do you hear the reminder of your sin and how you are disqualified? Or do you hear Jesus asking you in the moment, despite of your failures, public and private, are you still in love with Me and will you love others? We need to hear Jesus reminding us to love Him. And that brings us to the third point this morning. Jesus reminds Jesus reveals that he is aware of Peter's denial. Now everybody knows that it's out in the open. You know, once, once he said it the third time, everybody knows. They're probably suspecting it on the second time, right? How many of you are really good at that? And, and nobody will go to the movies with you anymore, right? You love those mysteries, and then you blurt out in the middle of the movie what you think is going to happen, and nobody ever wants to go to the movies with you. I'll go to the movies with you. I love this, because then I'll ruin it for you. I would suspect around round two, the disciples are catching on to this. If they didn't, they really got it round three, because Peter got it, and he wasn't the brightest bulb in the, in the group. Jesus reminds everybody that he knows what Peter did. It's out in the open. When he says these, Matthew twenty six thirty three is a passage that says where... where where Peter states that he will follow Christ and that he loves Him more than anyone. Luke, I'm sorry, John 13, 37, is the passage where he's basically stating, I will go and I will die with you. Jesus restores Peter publicly as a reminder to the disciples of forgiveness. Remember, who asked... Jesus, how many times must I forgive in Matthew 18, 21? Who asked that? Peter. And so here Jesus uses these three times to restore. You think that was in Peter's mind as well? So, Jesus is using a perfect pattern of the things that he has taught and he keeps reminding them of the things that he has taught in order to completely restore. Jesus reminds that sin has no permanent place in our lives. My question this morning to you is this. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? It's a little hard sometimes, folk. And here's, here's some practical things you can do. Number one, get in the Scripture and read. Number two, understand that as you read, Jesus loves you. So use that as a filter to understand if there's some... Weird, ambiguous statement that you're not fully grasping or getting. Understand the plan of salvation and redemption and then listen to what Jesus is saying in light of that. If after that and after prayer it's still confusing, ring me up. Don't text me because I'll burn my thumbs up trying to give you the answer. Ring me up. Let's schedule lunch. Or talk to some of the, the individuals around here that have great wisdom. Seek Godly advice. And by the way, when it comes to some of this stuff, maybe get a balance. Ask two or three people who are wise and and see if there's a consistency because we're finite. He is infinite. If He said it to Peter and the disciples in this passage, then guess what? He's saying it to you. He will reveal what needs to be revealed so that He can restore you and then He will remind you of the plan that He has for you. Now, how did He do this with Peter in a closing thought? Well, He tells Peter this. Really? You love me? Now, you may be saying, well, Pastor, you're really reaching on some of this stuff. I don't think so. When He chooses to use this word love... And when he chooses to say these, he's bringing up history, he's revealing things that Peter made these outlandish comments on, and guess why I figure that I'm pretty much right on this? Because of what it says here where it says, fine, you say you love me, I got it, feed my sheep, by the way, you are going to be led to where you do not want to go with outstretched arms. What does that look like? And that's exactly how Peter died. Christ let Peter know, you'll have your chance again. And Peter did not fail, did he? Jesus established him and reminded him, you said you wanted to die for me. You said you would be loyal to the end. It's coming, my friend. And the very next thing he says is so confirming. As a last thought, Think about a time where you failed. Have you ever, ever wanted to say restart? Right? I do it every time I get into like an athletic endeavor with my son. used to be I could win those. Now I don't. So then like we'd be like at at one of those arcades and we're shooting baskets. And all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, ah, hold it. You got to stop. I got something. uh, Okay, let's start over. I don't really do that. I was just making that up. But I probably would, knowing my sinful self. Folks, Jesus gives Peter a restart to perfectly establish him. This is what Jesus is saying. How do we know this? The very last word. What's he say? Follow me. Now that we've taken care of this business, Peter, follow me. You think he remembered the first words Christ said to him? We're going to go on a walk, you and I. Let's go. Because now that I took care of this business for you, now that we revealed everything, now that we restored you, and now I'm going to remind you of what I called you to. So come on, follow me. And they start walking down the beach together. And Peter can't help himself again. He does it again. John starts... And Peter's looking back and he's like, wait a minute, this is just you just asked me, and and now we got this guy hanging on. He turns back and he says, Well, what about that guy? Peter can't help himself. You know what? That's a huge help to me. That's a huge help to me. That Jesus knew Peter still got these foibles, and yet he says, You're my man. You're my guy. And I'm going to make sure everybody knows it. And yeah, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall on your face, but I'm going to keep reestablishing you. I'm going to keep repairing it. I'm going to keep restoring you. Folks, what a beautiful message, right? For you and I today, I'm going to keep blowing it. And it may hurt when Jesus tries to get in there and unearth it and reveal it, but if he doesn't, I will never be restored. What is Jesus saying? He's saying he loves me. And he's saying that he has great plans for me and he's going to keep reminding me and he's going to keep taking me for little walks down a beach. And at the end of this, Jesus says, what does it matter if, if, if this guy continues to live until I come back? I, what do I care? You know what? This is one of the greatest moments in, in, in NT gospel scripture narrative of Jesus. Remember we're telling you that it's really hard to figure out what Jesus is saying. You know, there was a whole doctrine built around the fact that John would not die because, until Jesus came back. You know, that whole doctrine was built off that statement. Do you know what that tells us is simply this? That these guys still didn't get it. They couldn't figure out what Jesus was really saying. And what I wa- why I want to hit this at the very end is just to remind you, we're still going to struggle in trying to figure this out. Because these guys just went through this blatant restoration thing, heard from Jesus. Then they hear, them, they hear Jesus say, what does it matter if he still lives till I come back? Uh, well, you know, because Peter's complaining. you realize Jesus is using sarcasm? He turns to Peter, and I, I, I see him like put his hands on his hips, and he goes, I don't care if the guy's like, he, he doesn't die until I come back. Don't worry about him. That's what he's saying. He said, I told you to follow me. Don't worry about him. And now what do the disciples do? They're like, oh no, John's going to not die until Jesus comes back. We're going to build a whole doctrine around it. Do you understand how we just blow cheese so much of the time? But yet he keeps restoring and reminding. He gets us because he made us. And he loves us. And by the way, this whole chapter was written by John as an epilogue, he was done with his gospel. This was added in later because of that very heretical doctrine. He had to come back and remind everybody, guys, I was there, I was on the beach, this is what went down. I was just kind of following, maybe I should have been there, maybe I shouldn't. Jesus was fed up with Peter again. (laughs) He's just like, what does it matter, Peter? And so he was hyperbole, he was sarcastic. Chalk that one up to you, you didn't hear what I was saying right again. Folks, it's hard to hear what Jesus is saying. The first thing you want to get straight is what Clay got straight this morning. He loves you, and He's pursuing you, and He wants to restore you and reconcile you. Get that one first right. Or get that one right first. And then follow in learning what it means to understand the words of Christ. And be clear on what He's saying. Let me close in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship band to come and close us in a song this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are glad that you are here. Uh, we, we know that God brought you here. That, that, that there's no mistakes with that. And we pray that you are ministered to by whether it's the music or prayer or the works of the Spirit or the message, whatever it would be. If you're looking for a church home, please fill out one of our cards there in the back of the chairs. Drop that in the offering plate. Let us know how we can minister to you. I want to say thank you to Natalie and Taylor and Drake, always coming over once a month to bless us with music. And thank you for <coughs> thank you for hearing what Jesus is saying when he's telling you to do that. Um, I don't know if Jesus told you to do that or not. I have no idea. But we're glad that you're here. And as we pass the offering plate, please understand, this is an extension of our worship. This is part of what we do to say thank you back to the Lord. And so let's go ahead and bow our heads and have the men prepare for the worship. And then remember, right after I close, after that closing song, we're going to have prayer right up here in the front rows for lifetime. That will be happening every single Sunday um, for the next three weeks until camp starts, and then at 10 till, over in ministry room 2, we will be talking and sharing and dialoguing about formulating up this vision and starting this rough 16-week vision of, of Multiply. Let me pray. Father, it is a blessing to be here today and to hear your word. We thank you that you've given us this demonstration of how you reveal what needs to be revealed so we can be restored and how you remind us of the plan that you have for our life and keep us moving forward. Thank you for the beauty of how you say things. But Lord, we are like sheep and we need clarity to understand what you're saying. We need confidence to know that where we have aligned ourselves is what you want us to align ourselves with and to pursue You. Thank You, Lord, for all things that You have given us. Now we give back to You as an appreciation and in saying thank You to Your glory, Father, forever and ever. Amen.